Well, that's because you don't hang out with enough uh, smooth jazz dads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're my, you are my smooth jazz dad. Yeah, I'm transitioning comfortably into that role. Yeah, you seem totally okay with it, and I think it's adorable. <laughs> it's, it is cute. In my youth, I was in a noise band. <laughs> Welcome to I Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, collector and restorer of microfiber lens cloths. I'm Jeremy Ruggles, butcher of low-mid frequencies. And I'm Peter Cook, no preservatives. Beautiful. Just the uh, straight, unfiltered dope from this guy. All natural. That's right. Are you naked right now, Peter? You can admit it. No. No, I'm not, sadly, Jeremy. Okay. I know you were the first person that we suspected of being in the buff on this podcast (laughs) last season. (laughs) True. I think one of us is going to have to do it at some point, though, now that we're fully, you know, doing this completely separated from each other. I've done we... it twice already. Okay. Yeah. I I had a I suspected you had some naked vibes on a couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> which which episode specifically do you think you picked up on the the highest naked vibes from Jeremy? I would definitely say Stephen Helpern for sure. That would that's one I was going to guess as well. He was sounding naked as hell on that episode. Those new agey vibes just uh, they were too authentic to not be Fully in the buff. Yeah. My my chakras were very naked during that episode, but I was still wearing clothes on my physical form. You were still recording in your garage at that point in Kalamazoo, so... Right. You didn't want to have to make that walk from the house to the garage. I Are you guys you could... ready to move on from the good old days? <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember yeah. a little over a year ago, I messaged you guys and said, hey, I've got this idea for a podcast, and here we are. Do you remember that? True. You guys remember that? I do. Yeah. Peter, now that yeah. it's it's fall, I'm thinking about it because it was kind of the beginnings of fall last year. It's funny how time just keeps moving, but it kind of repeats itself a little bit too, you know? A little bit. I remember when I was a kid and I rode a bike and... That's it? Yeah. You rode a bike? <laughs> the, the, most, if you like. the most uninteresting childhood of all time. <laughs> He was born, he biked, and then eventually he got a job. And now this <laughs> That's podcast. That's how it is, recalling the past for everybody. Let's move along, boys. Come on. Peter, let's talk about a record. What do you want to talk about? Oh, it's my turn to bring a record, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ooh, well, let's see. What do I have here? Looks like I have brought... Oh, my goodness, guys. This is an album on the Blue Note label. What? Those are supposed to be valuable. That's what I've heard. You heard that too, both of y'all? Yeah. True. I mean, honestly, they stopped getting valuable in like the mid-60s for the most part, but... uh, Well, this one's from 
10 years later. This is from 1975. It's Ronnie Laws pressure sensitive. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Laws, if you heard tell of him, he is a saxophonist. And this was his debut album. It reached number 25 on the Billboard Top Soul album charts. And it was produced by Wayne Henderson of the jazz fusion group, The Crusaders, or also known as... The Jazz Crusaders. The Jazz Crusaders, correct. And uh, let's just get into things. Let's listen to the opening cut, which I believe was also the single, Always There, Side One, Track One. no laws when you're listening to laws right boys you got that right partner (laughs) you're fired that was a funky good time it was it was a funky good time it was a a moderate hit on the r&b charts it reached number 45 in 1975 i watched an interview with ronnie laws where he said that track was done live in the studio meaning there were no overdubs it was just how the band performed it and they they captured it in two takes Wow. They were ready to get in that studio when they when they went in. Well, that might have uh something to do with the level of talent that's on this record. I'm not going to I'm not going to ruin any surprises. You can get to that whenever you want to, but man, what a lineup. There is some true talent on this record and I yeah, I'd like to get that get to that pretty early on here. My first point I'd like to make is that this is a heavily sampled album. And I know I talk a lot about samples on this show, and I listened to a 
podcast called Star Wars Minute where they go through the Star Wars movies one minute at a time. They get feedback that whenever they start talking about the toys, a lot of people start to zone out. I really hope that me talking about samples is not that for our podcast. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) We haven't gotten that feedback yet. For me, I like to geek out on records and what was sampled on in what hip hop song. For me, it's interesting, especially because a lot of music, that's how I first heard it being a hip hop kid in the 90s. I don't zone out when you start talking about samples, but when you started talking about a Star Wars podcast a moment ago, I I did start to zone out. I'm not going to lie. I was literally going to make the same joke. I was just waiting for Peter to uh, finish before I inserted that joke. Dang, I'm rude. (laughs) (laughs) You interrupted him. You stole his thunder. Yeah. I demand 50% of the credit for that. Deal. All right, cool. (laughs) Well, one third of this podcast is saying shout out to Alex and Pete at Star Wars Minute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying we can shout out them too. I just like, you know, when it gets to the point of a music podcast talking about listening to a Star Wars podcast, that's just, it's just too much. (laughs) Uh, I've just jumped too many stones over. Too many sharks. Yeah, anyone that might have survived through the uh, sampling trivia is just gone now. It's just (laughs) us. I was also going to say, though, if you weren't talking about the sampling, I would have been more because that's always been fascinating to me. So I I love that you keep bringing that up on these records. Well, good. It's going to keep happening. So I'm glad that we're down with it. Good. In this particular case, with this track on this record, it wasn't even a hip hop song that it was sampled in. It was on Bjork, or as many people say, Bjork. Bjork's debut album, which do you know what the the name of her debut album is? Nope. Debut. Clever. <laughs> 1993. On the track One Day, the flexitone and congas that were played in the very opening of Always There, which we just heard, were sampled in that track on Bjork's album. And those were played by Joe Clayton. Perhaps... I don't know if he's best known, but one of the most prominent tracks that, that he's played on were the uh, hits by the Jacksons, like I Want You Back and ABC. He played the congas on those tracks. Oh, cool. Yeah. And funny enough, one of the guys on bass on this album, Wilton Felder, was also on those same Jackson songs. So that's pretty cool. Wilton Felder, he also was a member of the Jazz Crusaders or the Crusaders, and You're going to see that a lot on this album because, as we'll find out, Ronnie Laws has very close connections with that group. I don't know if uh, either of you picked up on that in doing a little research for this. They uh, grew up together. They jammed with them, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, literally, they lived. Wayne Henderson of the Crusaders was, like, the back neighbor, lived behind uh, the Laws house. Hmm. So they grew up together in Houston, Texas. Interesting. Yeah. So we got, yeah, Wilton Felder's on bass on some tracks. We also have a guy named Clint Mosley also on bass. And I couldn't really find a great deal of information on Clint. But we also had another crusader and one of my favorite names that I see from time to time, Joe Sample. Yeah. (laughs) He's on the clavinet and the electric piano. He was also a member of the Jazz Crusaders. I believe he was also a founding member. Yep. And he is, man, he was just like the king of that soul jazz turned into smooth jazz keyboard style. He was on so many records. I mean, all the guys in the Crusaders were, it's, 
I kind of can't believe we haven't actually done a Crusaders record yet because, man, that is some of the best music. And all pretty inexpensive, correct? You can usually find their stuff pretty cheap. A lot of it is, yeah. Yeah. Maybe soon. Maybe soon we'll we'll get there. Steve Gutierrez on drums, also someone I couldn't find a great deal of information on, although it seems like he did play with Laws for a while, Ronnie Laws, that is. Uh, there are a lot of Laws that we're, we'll get to. We, you know, There's a lot of Laws on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Jerry Peters on the electric piano and the ARP synthesizer. Is that a name that either of you are familiar with? Uh, not offhand, no. Nope. He wrote for and played with the Friends of Distinction. Okay, Grazing in the Grass. And... Yeah, and Earth, Wind, and Fire. He also wrote some of their cuts and played on some of their stuff. Nice. He was also on uh, Mary Clayton's self-titled record from 71. Ooh, and he played on some David T. Walker stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah, Jerry Peters has made his way around some really classic records and artists. Mm-hmm. Played with Eddie Kendricks, too. Okay, okay. Whew. Yeah. And on guitar, we have Roland Batista who was also in Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yep. Along with, he was in Earth, Wind, and Fire at the same time as Ronnie Laws. Yep. Ronnie Laws, who's the record that we're featuring, was in Earth, Wind, and Fire. They also both played on the same Gene McDaniels record in 75, Natural Juices. Well, I haven't heard that one, but I bet it's awesome because, man, I've learned from checking Gene McDaniels out after hearing his name a lot on this podcast, that his stuff is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. So Roland Batista's guitar on Tell Me Something Good was sampled on Shake Your Rump by the Beastie Boys. Oh, nice. Very prominent sample right in that track, and it's right at the beginning of the song. Now, Tell Me Something Good, do we know who originally performed that? I know. Does Jeremy know? Well, Stevie wrote it, right? Yeah. Yes, you are correct. Stevie did write it, but he did not perform it. I mean, he has performed it, but he is not the person who originally recorded it. Uh, I'm not sure what the original is. Rufus and Chaka Khan. Rufus and Chaka Khan, yep. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a hit for them. Oh, yeah, huge hit for them. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's Roland Batista's guitar on the cover on this record. Very prominently sampled in Shake Your Rump by the Beastie Boys. And I'm ready to just get into that. Side one, track four. All right. We're just playing them left and right here. Bye. 
I gotta say, that's definitely my favorite track on this album. Hell yeah. When I when you told me you were gonna do this record, I th- I feel like I've listened to it maybe years ago and just wasn't ready for it because I don't remember liking it. But when I put it on, I was instantly like, oh yeah, this is this is a solid record. And then by the time that song came on, it was like, oh hell yeah, I gotta keep this. Love it. Amazing. Yeah. Album. So you found that you had it for sale in your collection online and you took it down from being up for sale yep. on Discogs. Still got my uh, handwritten $5 price tag with the uh, VG Plus grading. Not for sale anymore. Everybody had their chance. It's mine now. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they won't be able to find another copy for so cheap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. They will. That's why we're featuring this exactly. album on this podcast. Because this is one you'll find. I think I paid two or three bucks for my copy. You can still find this cheap as hell. I got to admit something, guys. Admit it. The ARP synthesizer on that song drives me bonkers. Why? <laughs> like, it's some, it's like reverse ASMR or something. It makes me feel like itchy and like angry and agitated. Oh, weird. I don't know what it is, but it, it just feels like, like nails on the chalkboard sound every time. It's like, ring, 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 ring. So you can't tell so, me something good. Tell me something good about this song, Jeremy. What's do you like the I mean, least, I, like the guitar I in like, the intro? Yeah, I like the whole rest of the song. Just like that synth, something about it drives me bonkers. Now I just want to know, like, is that a common thing with the ARP synthesizer? Is it like the cilantro of instruments where some people just can't stand it and will <laughs> never be able to? <laughs> oh my goodness, that's uh, it might be. I don't know. Yeah, for cilantro, for some people, it tastes like soap. Yeah. Are either of you people like that? Nope, I love it. And I also love ARP synthesizers. So, the yeah, actually, the reason that I picked this album up was it was one of the very early acquisitions in my attempt to acquire all of the albums that were sampled on Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. I think I mentioned that on a previous episode, that it's an ongoing, long-term project of mine. This was one of the very first that I picked up once I had that in mind. What uh, percentage of the way through are you? Oh, God. Probably like 1% or 2%. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> records on that. <laughs> I think I have about five of them, and there's around 150, if I'm not mistaken. It's I'm thinking this is like a 15-year project. This This will be putting me into the 2030s for sure. Yeah, something to look forward to, you know? At least you've got that. Yeah, that's my plan for the future. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, once I acquire them all, I, I don't know what I'm going to do at that point. You're going to have a barbecue and invite us over, and we're going to listen to all of them in a row. I think you got it, Jeremy. For days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a multi-day festival. Be a week-long barbecue. Hell yeah. I'll sign up for a DJ shift on that. Excellent. I, I like this. It might just be happening. All right. 15 years. I'll work the grill for a little while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can work a grill pretty good, can't you? Oh, yeah. Well, we now that we got that plan, do you all want to hear a little bit about Ronnie Laws? Yes, please. His background. He was born October 3rd, 1950, so he just recently turned 70 years old. I mentioned before he's originally from Houston, Texas, and the producer of this album, Wayne Henderson of the Jazz Crusaders, was his neighbor, lived right behind the Laws household. Uh, Henderson was about 10 years older than Ronnie, but 
just because of how close they, how in close of proximity they lived together, they definitely knew each other there. And Ronnie started playing the sax at the age of 11. And he came from a musical family. His older brother is jazz flutist Hubert Laws, who actually was also a member of the Jazz Crusaders for a brief time. Are, are either of you familiar with Hubert Laws? Yeah, definitely. Uh, his older sister is Eloise Laws. That's a strange name. Have you ever, either of you ever heard the name Eloise? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Sean's daughter. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I knew of Eloise Laws, but I never had made the connection of her uh, musical famous family. Yeah, she's a jazz singer. And it's actually, I, in the interview that I was watching with Ronnie Laws, I guess his first, one of his first public performances was through a connection she had to Kenny Rogers, who was performing in Houston, Texas. And he was looking for a sax player and Eloise was working with him and was like, hey, my my younger brother's a sax player. And Kenny Rogers was like, get him over here. So <laughs> Ronnie Laws, at like the age of 12, performed on stage with Kenny Rogers for, I think, a couple shows, that's, a few shows. That's wild. I love that. <laughs> yeah. His younger sister, Deborah Laws, is an R&B singer as well. And uh, Ronnie actually played and sang on her hit song, Very Special, in 1981. And so they, and he's worked with all of his siblings at various points throughout the years, it seems. But in 1970 or 71, there's varying accounts, but he decided to move to Los Angeles. And by 1972, he had joined Earth, Wind & Fire. And he said he learned a lot about working in the studio from Maurice White. And ended up playing the sax and flute on the album Last Days and Time, which I had never heard before. Checked out yesterday. Fantastic record. Yeah, absolutely. Greatest band of all time. Yeah, I guess. Can't expect anything less. There's a track on there called Power that he had some sax on that was just, it's like this eight minute epic. And I was really feeling that one. But he only played with them about 18 months at which point he decided to embark on a solo career. He said he's still very good friends with Larry Dunn of Earth, Wind & Fire to this day, but he just felt that he he wanted to stand out on stage. He didn't want to play in a band so much. I mean, he I guess he wanted to be the center of attention to some degree. And he ended up having a short stint playing with trumpeter Hugh Masakila for about a year shortly thereafter. And he learned a lot more about being a live performer with the focus on you, on himself, during that time. And around the same time, he had played some demos for Donald Byrd at Blue Note. And Donald Byrd was into it, but he did not have the time to produce the album himself. So Ronnie Laws sought out his former neighbor, Wayne Henderson of the Crusaders, who was now also living in Los Angeles. And they ended up tracking the album uh, Come time to do to record Pressure Sensitive, the album we're listening to today. They tracked it in two weeks, and then the overdubs and mixing took an additional two weeks. So this album was done in about a month's time. Pretty fast. I guess uh, we did that Johnny Hammond album last season, and that was tracked in like two days, but that also wasn't a debut album. So <laughs> understandable. It might take a little longer to, to track for a first-time solo artist working with some people. Makes sense. You had a lot to prove, too, you know, so... Yeah, I wonder how this album would have sounded if uh, Donald Byrd had gotten his hands on it, on producing it. Uh, probably equally as good and just a little bit different. I don't know. I think it'd be because parts I liked on this album 
were the sort of chances they took as far as textures going on and like mixing, but some of them didn't land as well. So I would be, it would be interesting how a more like conservative, straightforward mix of this would sound if it would rip as hard or if it would tame it down too much or. Well, Donald Byrd was on this exact same wavelength at this point. He was like full on jazz funk mode. So I don't think it would have been that much of a different take from him, honestly. Okay. What the what ifs of I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my favorite tracks and probably one of the best known, especially because of stuff that it's been sampled in, which we'll get to after we listen to it, is the track Tidal Wave. And I think this was written by William Jeffrey, who is a jazz drummer who worked with John Carter. And he doesn't play on this album, but it seems that he wrote this specifically for Ronnie Laws. It seems that there are a couple tracks in here written, written by William Jeffrey. So let's check out Tidal Wave, side two, track two. Speaking of samples, that song has been sampled 45 times, <laughs> according to whosampled.com, and that has some extremely famous elements in it for the, I guess, the hip-hop aficionados of the early 90s to early 2000s, sampled most notably on Black Moon's 1993 album. They did it on the song. On the song Who Got the Props, Who Got the right? Props, yep. And they, they use like multiple elements of the song for the sample. So you can like very clearly hear that element throughout the whole thing. And then it's also used in an element of a song by Quasimodo 
from 2000 album. It's on the track Return of the Loop Digger. There's a skit in the middle of the track <laughs> where Madlib is going into a record store and is just like super annoyed by them not having anything good or not being able to really help him. And this Ronnie Laws track is looping behind that skit, which is pretty funny. Yeah, that was actually my introduction to both Madlib and Quasimodo. I was buying Chick Corea's, is it uh, Inner Space? Is that the album? Yeah. And I was buying that at Record Store Day, and you commented on that being referenced in that skit. Uh-huh. And so I went home and checked out the album The Unseen by Quasimodo, who turned out to be Madlib. And uh, man, that's a great album. And it was kind of, yeah, that's where I really started with knowing who Madlib was many years ago. So that's a big track for me. <laughs> and uh, it's really cool that this tidal wave track by Ronnie Laws was sampled in it. Yeah, the, the Unseen and Mad Villainy are definitely two of my most listened to records of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brilliant stuff. This has been sampled by Young Lean, Usher, Peanut Butter Wolf, Pretty Lights, all kinds of folk. Yep. How could you not? It's just so good. There's just so many good sample elements all over this record. Yeah, there's probably a lot that I didn't even find. Uh, <laughs> there's just so many tracks on this and, and so many sample opportunities. Uh, right. I don't know how his other albums fare in that regard. It seems this one's like the main one that people go to for sampling. Speaking of sample opportunities, Peter, where might people find a sample of our latest swag? I'm glad you asked, Jeremy. If you haven't heard already, I'd buy that for a dollar. kicking off season two with a fundraiser. And in doing that, our patrons are receiving free limited edition. I'd buy that for a dollar season two's swag. And you can see that all over both our Instagram, I'd buy that podcast, as well as our Facebook which you can find at facebook.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Although I have to wonder who finds a Facebook page that way nowadays <laughs> through the month of October until October 31st, that stuff is going to be available for there's, there's uh, t-shirts and stickers and buttons with these cool season two designs designed by artist Ellen Vandermeide. And that's going to be available for anyone who signs up for the Patreon, or if you're already an existing uh, Patreon supporter, then you're going to get that stuff come November. But anyone who signs up is also going to be privy to that, along with the usual perks that come with our Patreon, which, to go through those again, at the $1 pledge for our Patreon, you get the early access. We will send you these episodes a few days in advance so you can hear them before the rest of the world. You're up on things. You're up on those inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records before everyone else. At the $5 pledge tier, you also get bonus episodes. We record exclusive, eh, roughly 20-minute episodes, about 45s. We're going to be doing more soon, so that's what you get for your a $5 a month Patreon pledge. And then at the $20 tier, that is the vinyl subscription. And once a month, we will send you, of our choosing, a an LP along with a 45 and a handwritten note about why we like this music to you personally. It's actually just Sean writing the note as we revealed 
a couple episodes back. Mm-hmm. But still, it's one of us writing you a handwritten note. I, I still sign all three names, though. I just want you guys to know that. Yeah, I'm fine with you forging my name. Okay. As long as my signature looks the best. They all look equal. Separate but equal. Oh, no. Man, if I had a lot of money, I would want that. I would, you know, if you have a lot of money, you're probably working a bunch. You're not out there digging the crates at the thrift stores. You get personally curated. I'd buy that dollar. (laughs) I'd buy that for a dollar records. (laughs) I'd buy that dollar for one dollar. If you're ready to support us monthly then you can find the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode, or you can go to patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast and sign up. Definitely appreciate the support for this program, bringing you information on cheap records. It ain't always cheap to do that though. True. We're not looking to get rich here. We just want to cover our expenses. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, if you want to make us rich too, like we're not going to say no. No, we won't turn down that offer. But you don't need to make us rich. Even if you just want to support us with a dollar a month, you'll get those early access and you'll get a cool sticker if you sign up by October 31st. And we'll be shipping that stuff out in November. So if you do sign up for the Patreon before October 31st or you already are, look for an email from us in November requesting your shipping address. Now, at this point, I think one of you guys should really cheesily come in but Peter, what if we're not ready to be? What if they're not ready to become a monthly supporter? <laughs> but Peter, but Peter, what if they're not ready to become a monthly subscriber? Yeah, what? But then? they want that cool swag, anyways. Have you thought this through yet? What happens? What happens then in this unlikely scenario? What well, happens? I, I am so glad that both of y'all asked that question. For the month of October only, you can get that swag. For a donation to the podcast as well. Those stickers, the drip stickers with a cool dripping melty sticker that you can see on our Instagram and our Facebook. You can get those in exchange for a $3 donation. Then we have buttons with the sparkle record design on them that you can get for a $6 donation. And for a one-time donation of $40... You can choose one of the two shirt designs that we have. We have the lava lamp one and the butterfly design. And note that there's two styles of fit for that. There's the classic fit and the slim fit. And it's also worth noting that it's free shipping for all U.S. purchases. If you live in the United States, it's free shipping. So, you know, if you're dropping that $40, there's nothing additional. You get your T-shirt and you've donated to a good cause. Yep. And just think about all the money you've saved over the last year by buying these cheap records instead of the expensive ones. You know, before this podcast, you thought, oh, I have to buy all these expensive records everybody else is looking for. But that's not true. (laughs) Just think about the hundreds of dollars you've potentially saved and just give a little bit of that back to us. Say thanks. Exactly. And if you're ready to purchase, you can email us at ibuythatpodcast at gmail.com. That is I'd buy that podcast at gmail.com. No punctuation or hyphens or anything in there, just continuous letters. Use the subject line, I'd buy that fundraiser. And that one you can use punctuation and spaces and capital letters if you like. And just let us know which items you'd like, the quantity. And of course, for t-shirts, we'll need to know your size. Make sure you mention the fit style. 
and include your shipping address, and we will respond with your total and our PayPal. And once you're paid, you're all set to receive your items in November. And I will say, I have gotten a test pressing of the Lava Lamp Classic Fit, and it's dope. It's dope as fuck, y'all. I'm going to swear because it's that dope. Oh, my God. It's like wow, screen it's printed and... It even it lasted through the wash. mouth on this guy. <laughs> oh, man. This swag is that dope. Yeah, get at us before October 31st. Either sign up for the Patreon or just donate a little and you can get some really cool merch in exchange. Cool. You know what else is dope? That playlist Sean made for this. Mm. You really think it's dope? You really think that? I think it's dope, bud. In all honesty? In all honesty, oh I haven't goodness. listened to it all yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks but the dope. rest looked doped too. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. So as we mentioned, I'm making a unique Spotify playlist to accompany every new episode for at least season two because I, I enjoy doing it. Each one is going to feature some music that is similar to the artist we've talked about, the album we've talked about, stuff that maybe influenced it or was influenced by it as well as records that came out the same year. So you can just really do some further listening. You know, we always talked about recommended artists. So artists you're going to hear, um, I put a Rufus and Shaka Khan song on there and then followed that with Phil Upchurch and Chicago's own Tennyson Steffens doing a cover of Tell Me Something Good. You can hear a different jazz funk take on the same Rufus cover. And then some other artists that are on the playlist that I, I think you guys would agree with Bob James, the Blackbirds, Grover Washington Jr., Wayne Shorter, Kenny G. Mm-hmm. Man, that first Kenny G album is actually pretty dang good. The first two are both good, honestly. Oh, does it go that far? Yeah, so like the, the first one I think was produced by Jeff Lorber, and it's it's good. And then the second one is the Kashif-produced record that's even better. Mm, okay, okay. I'm, I have more to explore of Kenny G than I realized. Yeah. You know, honestly, if, if everyone just put on the record and forgot every joke they've ever heard about how much of a dweeb Kenny G is and just actually decide if they like the music, they would all like it. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's our challenge. That's our uh, Frankie teardrop challenge for our listeners. Yep. As we, we've all been listening to the best show, by the way. I don't know if we should bring that up, but our whole... Uh, podcast crew has now been in, uh, exposed to the best show at different eras of the best show, but that's where the Frankie teardrop challenge comes from. And we have the Kenny G challenge put on <laughs> Kenny G forget everything you've ever heard about Kenny G draw yourself a bubble bath. <laughs> the first two albums only though, right? I don't know. There might be more. <laughs> I think my dad had the Kenny G Christmas album when I was a kid on CD. And I remember putting that on. So I, I guess that one could be good, too. Playlist also features a couple artists that I've been meaning to do records for on the podcast for a while. And we definitely will eventually, such as the great Harvey Mason, Cool and the Gang, the Crusaders, and Michael Franks. So we'll be posting the link to that on all of our social media accounts the day after this episode airs. Or you can find us on Spotify and just search I'd Buy That Podcast. That's all one word, as they do on Spotify usernames, and same as our Gmail and our Instagram and all that other stuff. Hope you enjoy. We're getting more interactive in season two here. We're trying. Now, 
Peter, I just want to make sure that before we end this episode, we are going to mention a couple of these super famous records that Ronnie Laws was on because otherwise yes. there are literally two or three fans of ours that will be pissed if we don't talk about the light men. Yes, Sean, I actually had made a note because I realized I had skipped over the light men. It's Bubba Thomas and the light men. I believe I was not familiar with them. And you asked about them. That was, I guess, his Ronnie Laws band when he was in high school in Houston. Yeah. Uh, their first record came out in 1970 that he was on. And it looks like he was on maybe not all of them. Because, you know, like you said, he moved away shortly after. But he's also credited as being on their album Country Fried Chicken from 75. But yeah, the mm-hmm. Lightman, I don't know a ton about them. I don't own any of their original records because they're really expensive. I mean, literally the last original copy of that album free as you want to be sold for a thousand dollars on discogs but the label co-owned by egon and madlib now again records has reissued their whole catalog and that's where i first learned about them i stocked those reissues a few times at the record store i used to run and yeah they're a great band they, they started off kind of more abrasive free jazz very political in a lot of their message and imagery and then they kind of transitioned into a more jazz funk sound as they went on which ronnie laws did as well and there's a couple other records he did in the early 70s he was on walter bishop jr's keeper of my soul on one of my absolute favorite jazz labels black jazz records and then he was on another black jazz album in 74 doug Carnes adams apple which is a, a record that i own and dearly love so i highly recommend listening to all of those if you get a chance maybe just online for now because those records can be hard to track down but yeah some good stuff it's weird that he came from such a forward-thinking almost free jazz background and then just transitioned so smoothly into this like popular music in 75 yeah and i mentioned before we started recording the episode that i've seen some jazz critics call this album and his subsequent work as well commercial bids or commercial grabs, you know, all the tracks end before the five minute mark. And I don't see a problem with that. I, I, I don't know. I'm not a jazz critic. I don't think it's supposed to be Interstellar Space by John Coltrane or Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Not all jazz has to be that. Of course, I don't know if maybe those albums weren't well received in their time either by jazz critics. Maybe they stepped two outs too far outside of things but you know this yeah this isn't a pop format it's funky but the fact alone that it was uh, a very sample ready album by a pretty wide variety of people uh, shows that they're making some really cool sounds here definitely yeah jazz critics are like you guys at the beginning of this episode just looking back not looking forward (laughs) (laughs) we were we were like jazz critics at the very beginning criticizing the amount of clothing I wear when you can't even see me. You just hear my voice. Yeah, they're unrelated entirely. It's a good point. I'm glad that Sean and I have grown since then. (laughs) Me too. We've all matured a little bit over the course of this episode, and hopefully our listeners have too. Peter, I got to agree with you there, though. I feel like there's there's a time and place for, you know, experimental abrasive music, and there's also a time and place for easy to listen to music and just because it's easy to listen to and has a wide appeal doesn't take away any of its artistic value i mean there are times of course when people make music that they are not putting their heart and soul into anymore and 
I'm sure they have their reasons for that, like whatever. But this record, it, it feels honest. It feels like they made the music that they wanted to and they enjoyed making it. And like you said, the, the longevity of it, you know, you still see people buying this record and people are still sampling it. There's, there's something to it. Yeah. There's something here. It's a a special record and man, is it cheap? It's, it's just, it's not celebrated. It's very select few know the secret. We mentioned it to uh, Greg on our last episode and he basically seemed to think it was essential. Yeah. I will say the album cover sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the best. It definitely doesn't give you any indication of what's in store. Yeah. I kind of like the cover. If it had like if it had a really dope album cover, the value would be up, guaranteed. You said you like it, Jeremy? I don't think the album cover fits, but I think the album cover is cool. It doesn't make any sense with the what's on the album. It's not hideous, but I, I would never have guessed that this was the kind of music that was behind the cover. Yeah. And it, it's weird because there was still a lot of like really cool looking Blue Note covers coming out at this time period. Some of them are getting like really surreal and interesting, which I guess you could argue that this one is kind of surreal, but I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I, I often wonder how much the cover art plays into the perceived value of an album oh yeah i'm sure it factors into some extent mm-hmm. like it's probably not the difference between you know a ten dollar album and a hundred dollar album but it's i'm sure it's the difference between a you know one and ten dollar album many times well i'd buy this album based on the cover and i wouldn't even be mad when i put it on and it doesn't sound like how i want it to sound i'd put it on my my record player in my car and i'd cruise around Watching the leaves fall off the trees, sipping on apple cider, grooving hard, not even mad. That sounds like a good time to me. You know, as my old boss and uh, mentor, Steve Williams from Corner Record Shop, once said, there's an ass for every seat. (laughs) (laughs) So he toured with some artists following the release of this album, some pretty well-known artists. B.B. King was one of them. Grover Washington, of course. It's the right time for for this album to be connecting with Grover Washington's music. He also said Ashford and Simpson, Shaka Khan, and Eddie Harris. So there's some names we know. Mm-hmm. And I think that I I think that was just after the release of this album. I don't know who he toured with following that. His subsequent albums in the 70s, like Fever and Friends and Strangers, also charted. Some other things he played on later, uh, Ramsey Lewis's Le Fleur from 1983. So there's a big connection since we started off the season with a double dose of Ramsey Lewis. Have you yep. either of you heard that album, Le Fleur? I don't own that one, so I don't know if I've ever really, ever really listened to it before. He also recorded with Sister Sledge, Denise Williams. I actually checked to see if there were any diva stories about Ronnie Laws from Denise Williams. Sadly, there were not. There aren't. (laughs) Yeah, you looked too, Jeremy. (laughs) I literally check every episode we do now. One of my searches is for the name of the person, Diva Stories, Denise Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. I'm glad we won't miss a single one. Those are pretty fun. I've watched a couple now, so cool find, Jeremy. Alphonse Muzon is another one that he's recorded with. That's actually another one of the, uh, on the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique 
uh, list. That's another one that I have. Is Alphonse Muzone. Yeah, Alphonse is great, and you can find some of his records real cheap too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he uh, Ronnie Laws went on to release albums almost yearly through the '90s, and then he really slowed down. His most recent is 2004, and I haven't listened to make any kind of testament as to how those albums sound if they what direction he takes i imagine some of his stuff gets pretty smooth but i'm finding more and more that we don't so much mind the smooth jazz sounds in some cases here on i'd buy that for a dollar oh no i guess it probably i'm all about it yeah (laughs) i mean i'm the one that tried to suggest that we use a smooth jazz song for our our theme song for this month and you guys shot me down which i agree with you on it but i just want the record to show that i'm very down with the smooth jazz when i first started listening to a lot of jazz uh in my early 20s you know i dabbled in a little bit here and there in my teens including bob james which i thought was hip as hell and then my jazz friends started telling me that stuff was awful and you know they would just scoff at it um so i'm uh, you know what i'm glad that it's coming around. I'm glad it's okay to like smooth jazz again. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it sucks. Like some of it is like fully earned the reputation that it has. But as with most genres, such as disco, for example, that are critically maligned and not, they don't have a lot of active fan base anymore, at least in the, the younger audience. There's a lot of good stuff that gets missed when you just write off an entire genre or an entire movement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like my friend that writes off Zydeco. There is a lot of good Zydeco, man. Oh my God, there is for sure. (laughs) Well, that's about all I had. I don't know if y'all have anything else you want to mention. We've kind of talked, you know, we have the lists now as far as recommended similar listening goes. We have the Spotify playlist. Any of y'all got anything else? I know, Jeremy, you said you asked if we were going to play the song with vocals. And that's what I want to close on. The song Mama which is features backing vocals from the group side effect who were on fantasy records. I'm not familiar with side effect. I know, I know they were from Los Angeles. Either of you know anything about side effect? I mean, I see the name around collecting records and stuff, but I, I don't have any good trivia for you offhand. They're from Los Angeles. Ooh. Damn. I learned that m- moments ago from Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were listening. So that's a good start. I always listen. I don't contribute very much, but I listen. (laughs) As long as you you get your participation points by chiming in every so often. Oh, yeah. Side Effect is that band that has the hilariously bad album cover, Going Bananas, from 1977. We had a copy of that that sat at the record store for years, and I would always chuckle a little bit whenever I flipped past it while working. (laughs) That's Side Effect. Yep, that's the one. That's all I know about that band. (laughs) So Ronnie Laws is on vocals on this too. It's it's not just side effect. And I think that he sang more uh, in the future. And this this is a mostly instrumental album that we're featuring today. But as I understand it, he did do more vocal spots here and there. I mainly know this album. I, I can't say too much about his future catalog from here on out. I, I'll have to explore more because I've liked this since I picked it up for, you know, just the, the sample. <laughs> I got it just to have the sample and then uh was like damn this whole thing's pretty fun actually it's kind of a banger it's what you get when you dig through those crates pick up those cheap records and drop the needle hell yeah jeremy did you have any reason that you asked uh, if we were going to feature mama the one with vocals i just said i 
wanted to hear it at some point in there. I thought it was a good one to feature, but not any particular reason. Okay, well, sounds like a good enough reason to me, and I'm ready to hear Mama and get on out of here. We've done what we need to do here. Well, I'm Jeremy Ruggles. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Peter Cook. This is Mama by Ronnie Laws.